Hello, this is James Woodcock from pixelrefresh.com on Game & Gadget podcast number 32. Today, of course, I have with me my co-host, Tony Warner, one of the founders of Revolution Software. Thank you again for joining us, Tony. Good evening. Nice to see you. Good evening. For what is the last podcast of 2023, before we both put our feet up, enjoy Christmas and the new year. But of course... Up until that point, we have been quite busy. You've been doing numerous events, and the most recent that I'm aware of that we both attended was the Crash Live 2023. Yes, back in November. Yeah, it was. It's, which is about a month ago, I think we did this. It sounds um, about right, isn't it? Wrote about it on November the 19th, so it must have been just before then. Uh, but yeah, that was. Ironically, we've known each other for many, many years, and we've never actually met in person. I was able to properly shake your hand and say thank you for all your support over the years. Um, Just to give a little bit of history, I first got in contact with Tony basically through developers of ScumVM. And I was looking at, at the time, the Sam the Sorcerer soundtrack, which is actually a game that was made by AdventureSoft. And I'd just gotten approval for that one. And then one of the Scum VM team, uh, I think it might have been Eugene Sandalenko, who's actually been on one of our earlier podcasts representing Scum VM then, said, well, have you thought about doing Beneath Steel Sky? which is by Revolution Software, and that uses MIDI. You could have a look at doing the soundtrack for that as well and making that sound nice in terms of I can create recordings in audio rather than using the built-in MIDI tracks and give some consistency for people. And I said, well, yeah, I can give it a go, but I always like to get permission to release the soundtracks. So everyone I've released has always had permission. And to get the permission, I got rooted and eventually landed on this very kind gentleman called Tony Reiner. And that's kind of progressed into many years of knowing each other and discussing various things. Tony written a little bit of a book. So before he did his own book, maybe he's forgotten about this, I was writing a book many years ago, and you wrote a couple of pages about game development. Can you remember that? No. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) Ironically, uh, then there was the banking crisis, and... Publishers decided, nope, we're not doing anything, and the book never got published. So I had three quarters finished it, and it never got published. And there's no point in publishing it now because it's all irrelevant. It's so old, and it's about app stores of sort of iPhone 3GS era. But still quite interesting. Yeah. So ironically, there's bits of it on Pixel Refresh in certain guises. And I think I put your interview on there as well. So you can actually read tony's little part of the book as well on pixelrefresh.com but that's basically how me and you got into contact tony and we've never even though we've done loads of podcasts and done theorist things together we've never crossed paths physically in terms of shaking hands and saying hello and thank you so thank you again tony that was a pleasure meeting you in person and uh, the day was a lot of fun as well yeah i can say did you enjoy it I did. And ironically, it's basically a Sinclair event with Sinclair devices of all shapes and sizes and also advertising what would be the next big thing in Sinclair enthusiast interest, which would be the Sinclair ZX Spectrum Next, 
which also had a presentation there, which had queues <laughs> going for very long. Um, I've never actually personally owned a Sinclair. So I was going what? with, a, I know, I know, it's terrible. Should I have gone to a Sinclair event? Actually, never owning one. My uncle had and actually still has one. And that was my only ever interaction with the ZX Spectrum. And I did enjoy it. But I think his interest was more into football manager games, which right. wasn't really my thing. I was mm. more interested in platformers and things like that. But it was a very wonderful little machine. And there I am going to a Sinclair event, never actually had one. <laughs> but I was interested. And as a Commodore 64 owner back in the day, and only just sort of reacquiring one just recently, um, hearing the banter between Sinclair and Commodore 64 in terms of technologies was quite amusing for me because the Sinclair has it. Look at all our bright colours. Look how muddy the Commodore 64 ones were. It was all in jest, of course, and good fun, but it was amusing of, for me. Lots of brown jokes, weren't there, I think? There were lots of brown jokes. And I mean, the Commodore 64 think... is obviously very famous in the Sinclair world for the, its number of brown palette. <laughs> So, so I think, yeah, I mean, there's some, some people are still carrying on with that the, the great Sinclair versus C64 debate from the 80s. But um, I suspect that probably 80% of the people at the, at the Spectrum and Zap events are the same and the uh, same people. And they, they kind of, there's a big crossover now because really it's it's retro versus the world, isn't it? Not, not really factions within retro now. So No, it's just friendly actually, now, isn't it? just banter yeah and it was vicious during the day but i think that i think those times have mellowed and yet if you've seen certain tv dramas where it's been clive sinclair versus acorn acorn didn't get mentioned at all i didn't hear that mentioned once it was all commodore 64 if they were going to have a bit of banter <laughs> so i was a bit sad yeah. for acorn world well the acorn thing was a it was a cambridge thing wasn't it rivalries within cambridge and um I think Sinclair himself was very upset when he didn't get that BBC Micro contract that went to Acorn. I think he was very upset by that. I think so too. Uh, yeah. But it uh, all spilled over in some pub somewhere, didn't it, in Cambridge, I think, once. Yes, and a fight between the two. And uh, somehow, I think Clive Sinclair ended up on the floor. But regardless, <laughs> it was an interest. But apparently they were kept in contact with friends after that. Uh, but still, this was a Sinclair event. And it was interesting to see what was happening with the Sinclair ZX Spectrum next and the interest there. So even though it's retro technology enthusiasts, they still wanted a bit of retro, but with a, a modern twist. And basically that's what yeah. the ZX Spectrum next is, isn't it? It's a good machine. And it's uh, I mean, it's buzzing at the moment because obviously the, the second Kickstarter batches have just been delivered um, or in the process have been delivered to, to people at the moment. So there's tons of next stuff around you. Yeah. I've got mine out, and I've got. Um, I'll show you actually. Yeah, show and tell. Bought, yeah, show and tell. I've just bought a new copy of of my Z of Rodney's Axe Bible Z80 processor. How to program the Z80? Yeah, which you really essentially you look, you buy it for that book. Now you buy it for the. It's got all the T states of the CPU operations, so it's good for optimizing code. The T state, okay. For those who have no idea what a T state is, what's a T state? 
cycles. Like if you want to draw a pixel on the screen, you might, you know, you want to copy it from somewhere to somewhere else. It's like you pick an instruction, a CPU instruction to do that. And, and the question is how many, how many cycles or T states does that take? So if it takes four T states, if then, uh, and then that's, that's good. But if another, if another instruction does essentially the same thing and it takes seven, then you would choose the four. Cause if when you've been doing a lot of them in a loop, then, um, it obviously, all T states add up, and it makes a big difference on in, on that kind of platform. And then, and then of course, you realise that you shouldn't be doing a loop at all. You should just be going move, 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 move in a big long string of the same instruction to the width of the sprite or whatever. And then you can go even quicker. So there's there's, there's unrolling loops. It was called, and, and that's what you need that book for. What you did back in the day. You probably don't on the Spectrum next now because as I've been reading, it's got nice, nice, uh, funky hardware sprites. So you just need to say, draw a sprite here and off it goes. Oh, very nice stuff. Hardware sprites, flipping heck. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the next is basically if you've got a Spectrum, okay, if you've got Spectrum 48 and you've got an Amiga 500 or something, and somehow you managed to, yeah, one of those, if, if you somehow managed to crossbreed them, what would come out? The child would be a Spectrum next. It's yeah, like, that's a weird visual thought that's just popped into my head. Okay, just picture that. Yeah, that's. But anyway, Spectrum next is what you would is the is the child of those two, pretty much, in terms of what it is and what it can do. So really, it's a chip off the old block then, flipping it. Okay, is it? Well, it, it is. Thankfully, uh, well, actually, it could have gone either way, couldn't it? You know, which which chip is it? Like in eye color or something. Which chip is it going to inherit? You know, and as that eighty is nice enough, and a sixty-eight thousand is nice enough. So, uh, whichever whichever chip it inherit, it would have been off the block. Then it, it would have been fine. But in this case, it's a Z eighty. It's a super Z eighty because you can ramp it up in terms of speed and stuff. So, it's good stuff. So anyway, what was, my Christmas, my, sorry, my Christmas pro- projects will be larking about with the next to try and make it work from a programming perspective. And what would be the first achievement for you? As uh, what would be the first thing you'd want to do? Oh well, uh, draw a sprite on the screen, I suppose. I mean, you got to. You, I mean, you got. There's a lot of work actually to to get an environment set up where you can actually edit source code and build it and and run it on an emulator and. On the on whatever machine you're using, Windows in my case. Um, so I've just I'm now I'm now a Windows PC. I know. Owner, so, so. It's a good job I'm sat down as a Mac OS user yeah, like yeah. you've been, and always very keen on Apple hardware. Windows? What? Hey, I could see you. I could see you're like tick, tick, what? What? I did um, double check the screen to make sure I was actually talking to Tony Warner. But go on, carry on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's slightly easier on Windows. So, um, and and I, I need a backup machine, and I need to make sure Wormhole Dungeon runs properly on uh, on Windows. So. I now have a little a little um, micro forum, is it something like that? Micro forum, um, mini PC thing with a Ryzen something in it. Nice, it is very nice. Apart from Windows, but you know. oh, oh, you were doing so well. <laughs> and, it's, and it's, I mean, it, uh, I mean, it's better than it used to be. You can you can almost have multiple desktops, but it's still a bit of a dog's dinner the way it handles it. But there you go. Okay. Well, at least you're actually using Windows. Maybe you'll grow yeah. to love it. Um, but if it's Windows it's right. 11, it started off clean and beautiful, and ever so slowly they're starting to spoil it by throwing loads of nonsense on it. Uh, this is 10, actually. I, I thought, I thought it was going to be 11. Does 11, 11 exist, does it? it? 11 definitely exists. It's existed for probably a couple of years now. Uh, the really? biggest telltale sign is 
the start menu tends to be in the center of the taskbar rather than over to the left. Mine is in the center, but it's ah. definitely Windows 10. Interesting. We'll have to review that later, and you'll have to send me a screenshot or something. Yeah. But, Very strange, but there you go. But Microsoft's also ruining the Edge browser, slowly but surely, by throwing loads of rubbish on it, which nobody really wants. But hey, maybe they've done user testing and it will prove me wrong. But in terms of this Sinclair event, yeah, still absolutely uh, amazing on Windows. That's great. Um, you were actually there with Charles Cecil, who was one of the other founders of Revolution Software. But actually, because it was a Sinclair event, it was actually more about Arctic Games of which we're both involved with, which predated Revolution Software by a, f- a fair little bit. And yeah. it sounded like there was quite a few intriguing experiences where I know we've spoken about in the past where Revolution Software has sometimes been clinging on to life support to survive the changing tides of gaming habits and 2D to 3D and things like that. But Arctic Games in had its own set of crises moments where could have very ended very differently and maybe you and Charles would never have been working again as a result of that so it's a wonder we're still here to talk and you to say Tony one of the co-founders of Revolution Software because it's quite dramatic isn't it well I mean anything I mean any anything is isn't it you could you, you, whatever happens to you, you if you if you'd done something different on a certain day it, life would have been different and then, you know it's almost it's almost too mind-boggling to think about these things isn't it but but yeah I mean I wrote my game I sent it to Arctic at my mother's suggestion and uh met up with Charles and yeah but that was the that was kind of the the, the dog days of of Arctic really it was it was it was big for a few years earlier and then it was kind of you know as the, as the 8-bit world consolidated into bigger companies um arctic was a victim of that and kind of kind of faded away but we jumped ship and did and did a company called paragon programming for a while which was doing ports because what was happening is you know it, it became difficult to do originals for a while and uh so there was a lot of money not not a lot of money but for us anyway but there was a lot of activity in the in the licensing usually commodore 64 and atari games from america and porting them onto z80 based platforms like spectrum and amstrad and stuff so we did that for a while and then charles went off to us gold and i went back to hull and worked and we did stuff for codemasters for a bit uh and then a few years a couple of years later we we got back together again and started revolution so yeah i mean a lot of things could have worked out differently but there you go. That's that's what happened. So when we say porting games, um, one of the presentations just before yours early in the day, when they they said some of the games they had to port, they had the game, but they didn't actually have the source code. So they'd basically try and create a copy, but it was almost from scratch. Well, it was completely from scratch, but it had similar design ethos and et cetera, et cetera. Did you have that kind of experience as well? That's what we did, yeah. We, we, um, I mean, I get the most, mostly the games we did uh, were Datasoft games, if you remember them, an American company. And as far as I, as far as I remember, I mean, I can't actually remember how we, how we really did these games, but I think we just ran the copies side by side and made the same game, I think. Yeah. I don't remember getting any data as such. I mean, maybe we did, but not very much. Not very much. Because you had to redraw the graphics and you had to write a new engine. So 
I mean, maybe they could give you a map or something that would make it easier, but I don't remember ever having... Nor do I remember how we actually did the games to be the same. I mean, there was a game called Saracen, which was very much level-based with maps, but how we how we rebuilt those maps other than looking, I can't remember. <laughs> I can't so remember. I think a lot of playing the original game would have been involved. There would have been like, oh, we, testers. We certainly and, did that. Yeah, because yeah. we also did the Temple of Doom uh, arcade machine, and they literally shipped us an arcade machine. So we had one in our in our tiny little office in Battersea. We had an Indiana Jones Temple of Doom arcade machine, which was great. So we just played it all the time and became extremely good at it. But I've, I've told that story too many times. But, so. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but that well, was fun. It's, it was great having it there. It sounds a lot of work. I mean, I guess when we think of well, porting games these days, the source code is often shared, but it's more like building it for the platform and the libraries it uses rather than, hey, you need to copy what you see on screen here. I mean, the games were simpler. You know, they weren't they weren't True. as complicated. But you know, I suppose the problem was you had to play them. So if you were, if you were trying to trying to make level twenty of, of this game, then you had to play through to level twenty to see what level twenty was like. You know, so you had to become an absolute genius at the game, and then and then make your way through it and not die and have to start again and all that kind of stuff. Uh, yeah, I don't know how we did it. Can't remember. I'd have to go into hypnosis or something to 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 have those have those memories dragged dragged forward. I mean, I certainly did it, but for several games, but I can't remember how. What, hypnosis? Um, but anyway, <laughs> well, if you ever go on a hypnosis, we'll definitely record that for the next Game and Gadget podcast, and we'll see what comes out of it, and we'll be very careful what we ask as well, just for you. Yeah, I don't think live-streamed would be probably the best thing, but... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Plenty of editing. So, I mean, in terms of the uh, presentation you did, I mean, I, I guess the the only disappointing thing for me was there was a mic issue. So you ended up having to share a single mic. So the interaction between the two of you was maybe cut off a little bit because of that. But certainly there's, the stories were coming over. There's, there's always a mic issue. There's, there's always, there's, there's never enough mics. Uh, I mean, Adventure X, there was there was a mic. I had to share a mic with Dave, Dave Gilbert at Adventure X. Which was which was fun, um, but um, you know, sharing with Dave it was it was quite quite amusing, really. But but, but there's always a mic issue. <laughs> it's just one it's of those things. Those. Yeah, exactly. It that. was a nuisance actually because we could have gone to do, 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 do we could have had a better a better backwards and forwards if we hadn't had, you have to formally hand the mic over, you know. But uh, yeah, it, it was it was alright though. It was good fun. There was plenty plenty of people watching, and then the kicks was out before the QA to to make way for the. Because the the Spectrum Next Q was so big, yeah. And before that, you had the raffle, which you had to compete with as well. <laughs> so not oh, only yeah. did you have the ZX Spectrum Next, there was the raffle just beforehand, of which yeah. everyone else. It was, I think, even you and Charles went out to see what the raffle results were. We we we, we were hoping to win that, yeah, yeah. But but you know that's successful. that's 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 crashing up live. You know they're they're slightly chaotic, and um, but you know the the, the waves of enthusiasm. Um, make up for for all of that kind of thing. I mean, uh, it's a great it's a great experience. You know, you kind of I don't know about what you were expecting from it, but you probably weren't expecting quite as much as what you got. You know, I don't know what I was expecting at all, other than I was intrigued what it would be like, and I had no pre uh, notion of what it might be like. So I went in open minded, 
and I thought it would just be interesting to see what happens. I get to meet Tony. I may even get to meet Charles Cecil in person as well. I'll meet your book writing colleague, Martin. So for me, it was win-win-win, regardless of what happened at the event itself. There were certainly lots of enthusiasts in a relatively small-ish hotel. And it was a little cramped at times. But I tell you what, everyone was incredibly polite. It's not like when you're walking around town and everyone's bumping into you. <laughs> it was uh, it was all very polite. Everyone was taking the time. You'd sit at a machine and then people not at the machine would be watching the person on the machine and then talking to them about it and reminiscing about what they're all experiencing together. And it was just a really good positive vibe. Even for a Commodore 64 <laughs> like myself, it was just uh, it was a really good event. And I almost left with a ZX Spectrum myself. But yeah. unfortunately, the one I picked up was apparently a, an original, very rare version of one, untested, £300. So I didn't walk away with that one. I decided I'll get one a little bit cheaper later on. But it's certainly something I want to add to my collection at some point. It inspired me. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, if you want a next, you can get a 90-quid Xbury one. That's that's the cheapest way in noted noted yeah, yeah. In fact, so yeah i can show you i can show you, can show oh, you. my goodness me. this really me is a show and tell well i hope you're watching uh the video one folks and if you listen to the audio one make sure you just go to so relevant parts of the video comes back again yeah, so there you go like magic X. here's one he connected earlier an expri pie 90 quid and it plays specky and uh spectrum next games and all the rest of it brilliant thing I suppose technically I could do something on a Raspberry Pi. I've got a Raspberry Pi 4 sitting, not doing very much, so I could certainly put well, something like you, that on there, maybe. No, because no. that would be emulating. You could, I mean, you, um, yeah, you can run an emulator, but that's not an emulator. That's an FPGA. Oh. So it's effectively, it's it's a hardware level. It's hardware emulation, if if you can yeah. conflate the two. Yeah, don't don't be fooled by the names of these things. It's not a Raspberry Pi in any in any way or form, other than the fact that the 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 board sizes are the same. Oh dear, should they've really called it an Xbury then? In that fact, it's almost like the Wii and the Wii U. It's a bit too close to the nose. It, it shouldn't have been. It shouldn't have had berry in it or the word pie in it. To be honest, because it's non. <laughs> it's neither of those things. But there you go. Oh dear. Oh well, that's Even good that. to know. It's FPGA. And uh, yeah. basically, anyone who's not heard of FPGA, it's it's not emulation in the sense we would see it today. It's basically mimicking the hardware or the switching that it does and the cycles uh, as accurate as possible. And some of the calls available for various platforms are amazing. If you've got a Mr. FPGA, which is another board built uh, upon the D10 Nano, this is the one that most people want because that really will do everything up to even now the N64 core is running really well. 100% games will open. That doesn't mean they're playable yet. It means they'll open. Uh, but there's a lot of games that are now becoming playable and they thought that was a core too far for the hardware. So FPGA is really exciting, particularly if you're into computers or consoles. Some really old stuff, some newer stuff up to PlayStation 1, Saturn, and now the N64. It's quite a special thing. And I think for preservation, keeping these things going, because I look at my collection, as amazing as some of these hardware items are, I know deep down, at some point, they're going to go pop. And they're probably never going to be recoverable again. 
And uh, particularly if you've got CD-based consoles, the CDs are not uh, always the best surviving things. It's not like a cartridge where they tend to almost appear to last forever. Uh, cassette tapes may be starting to show some tight signs of vulnerability as well. So, you know, f- for preservation, mm. this hardware PGA malarkey is uh, certainly the way to go for a longer term, actually just playing the games. If you're not interested in owning the specific hardware, I, I don't need a Sega Saturn. As long as I can play the Sega Saturn games as true to the original as possible, then FPGA is certainly the way to go. Mm. It's good stuff. Yeah, that was my unintended sales pitch, but uh, I don't have a Mr. FPGA yet, but that's probably next on my list for 2024, but the boards are quite expensive at the minute, and COVID didn't help with that. (laughs) I I looked at those and thought, uh, yeah, that's quite expensive. Yes, but if you... I mean, to give you a rough idea, the DE10 Nano, which you need, is about £220 UK cost. Then you need some memory for it, which is probably another 50 then you probably want a proper casing for it. And by the time you add up all these things, you're probably looking closer to £400, which sounds like a quite a big advancement. You could get close to a PS5 for that. However, you know, the number of things I've purchased where, oh, yeah, it looks so cheap. God, oh, yeah, 20 quid. Beautiful, I'll have one of those. But then you find, okay, I need the RGB SCART cable. Okay, now I need the replacement modern power supply because the old one looks really flaky. Oh, the tape deck needs a new band on it. or uh, There'll be loads of other things. And before you know it, that £20 escalated into three figures very easily. You multiply that over a few devices, and you basically could have brought yourself a Mr. FPGA. And the Mr. FPGA will play so many different platforms as close to original as possible. And it's evolving all the time in accuracy and uh, range. So uh, look at it that way, and it doesn't seem quite so unsavory. But True it, enough. It, but it is unsavory when you think, oh, my gosh, it's 400-plus pounds. Uh, so I went for something actually a little bit different to tide over my retro excitement. And I will blame your friend Martin for this. Because at the same Sinclair event, I met Martin, who uh, worked with you on your book, and he brought out one of these. And it is... And if I can get the pronunciation right, uh, Anbunik RG35XX. So I got this, and it's basically emulates up to PlayStation 1, and PlayStation 1 1's pretty darn well. But that basically means you've got Sega Mega Drive, Super Nintendo, original Nintendo, Neo Geo, Game Boy, Game Boy Color, so on and so forth. Mm. And it took a few weeks to come from China. 40 quid with a 3.40 pounds, including the shipping. Yeah, I know. 3.5 inch display, 640 by 480 resolution, which for retro gaming, well, 4x3 is the king of retro. Widescreen didn't really come until Xbox 360 realm and PS3, really. There was the odd game that broke the... uh, procedures of this a little bit but most of it's fall before particularly go further back than that but literally a week after i got mine dispatched they announced another one in the same form factor with improvements and that's the plus <laughs> so somehow i've ended up with the original and now the plus version 
So what's the difference? Good question. So the original, that was a very nice transition for me. Thank you, Tony. So <laughs> the difference is basically the original, the D-pad has slightly square edges. So if you're playing a fighting game, you have to roll your thumb over the D-pad to get a special move. A little bit harder on the original, whereas more rounded corners on the newer one. Not majorly different, but just a, a subtle change. On the back, it's got these little shoulder buttons. And on the newer one, they've got a nicer slant to it so that it's easier to hold and press. Ever so slight button movement in terms of start and select. Nothing major there. The speaker sounds pretty much identical to me. The screen looks identical to me, but the CPU is a lot faster. The GPU is a lot faster. And the battery life's a lot better. The battery is quite a bit more capacity than the previous version. And uh, it's got four times the amount of RAM. So instead of 256 megabytes, you've got a nice gigabyte to play around with. And this one, supposedly, and I've had a little, it literally only came this morning, the plus version. Supposedly, it will play now Sony PSP and Dreamcast from Ooh, Sega. Yeah, Dreamcast. Dreamcast. And to be fair, you can play Dreamcast games on it. But it does look like half resolution to me. And potentially in certain games, frame skipping is also enabled. So it's not flawless in any, and there's definitely some cheats implemented. But yes, I could play Soul Calibur on this and enjoy it. And this mm. was, let me get this right, it was about £56, which is not much <laughs> more than the original. And I, I can take this pretty much anywhere I go. I should buy one of those. Yeah. It is a beautiful little thing, and uh, we've got Martin to blame. I mean, Martin to thank for the inspiration for me to get these. So I'll probably sell the original one. My stepson might be interested in it. I don't know. He has played Contra on it on the original Nintendo uh, console using this little device, and he's been really enjoying it. But uh, definitely keeping the Plus. The Plus is uh, very nice. But either one, you'd be very happy with it. Can you plug it into a, into a monitor? <laughs> both at the top have a i think it's a mini hdmi port so yes you can nice uh you can connect a bluetooth controller to the newer one i don't think you can on the original i don't think it has bluetooth on the original and the new one also has wi-fi which it could be quite handy for transferring files but also getting software updates i think you can do achievements as well which is done through retro R. So yeah, it's intriguing. So um, mm. I'm now wanting to put broken sword on it. <laughs> GBA. I was, thinking, I was actually thinking more the P the real one, the PC CD ROM version and seeing how well that runs. Cause scum VM is also possible on it. On, on what OS, what, what, what route in does it's, do you, I, th do I think it's Linux. Right. So so you've got, It'll it'll run Linux stuff, and it'll run various emulators. Now you're asking. But when you switch, okay, look, you switch it on. What do you what do you get? Well, I can show it, you again. It must, Sorry for listening to the audio version. There must be a menu right that says uh, Sega Dr Sega Dreamcast or GBA or Indeed it does. Game Boy or Linux. Yeah, there must be something like that. It, it doesn't say Linux or anything like that. I think it's built upon Linux, but there's definitely a front end that's there. Yeah, it'll be Linux underneath. Yeah, exactly um, that. 
you see what i'm thinking is i could i quite like the idea of getting my game wormhole to run on it because it'll 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 work on linux because it's a lua it's a lua lua game so it would it would run on linux which means it should run on that machine which would be rather nice to see it it certainly would uh but you know, you have to question the legality of the ROMs that come with it. But if we ignore that fact, as a yeah, yeah. bit of hardware and the basis of software that comes with it in terms of the OS and everything, really nice. And the original, the original OS that came with that one wasn't particularly sparkly or shiny. So there was actually a, an alternative of a garlic OS, yes. which, uh, unlike the name, doesn't stink. Uh, <laughs> but that was the original one, which has had about a year of you know, updates and tightened up, whereas the actual OS that comes with this one works pretty much really well as it is. So I'm intrigued. I'm intrigued. So uh, just to play some old Mega Drive games and SNES games and whatever else on the road. Send me a link and I'll buy one today. Oh, okay. I will send you a link. You'll have to remind me at the end of the podcast, but uh, I will definitely do that, Tony. Okay, so that's my uh, portable ambitions. A little bit more portable than the Steam Deck. And, of course, now there's the Steam Deck OLED. Sorry, Tony. You're always taking the mickey out of Steam Deck. I don't understand where this comes from. It's a lovely, lovely lovely medium-sized machine. What what constitutes a large-sized portable machine? That original uh, Commodore 64 carry. Do, <laughs> do, do, do you remember those suitcase things from the 80s? <laughs> That's what I would consider a large one. Fair uh, I like Steam Deck. Yeah, I bought two of them now. Two? Oh, is that uh, because... One, oh, yeah, okay. one I'm sending to my friend in Kiev, um, which has proven to be an extremely difficult thing to do because it's, because it's Kiev and it's... A device with batteries in it and courier firms won't oh. touch things with batteries. Dangerous girls. Because they'll surely blow up and take the plane down with them because of the Galaxy Note 15 years ago, whenever it was. Um, so sending anything to, to, to abroad is difficult, but sending things to Ukraine is even more difficult. But we think it's going to go via the normal postal system, but um, it's currently sat in limbo. Uh, and my friend is going to help. My friend Ruslan is going to help me get get the wormhole running on the Steam Deck if he ever gets that machine. That sounds like a good excuse to fly to Kiev. Yeah, he said you can't. <laughs> you can't. I don't know. I would go, but um, and, and missiles be damned. But uh, you can't just fly to to Kiev. Not not unsurprisingly. Given oh, of the... course it's in Ukraine, isn't it? Sorry, my brain <laughs> went blank. Then of course it's in. Yeah, of course. Because there, there are missiles flying all, all yeah, around. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's probably even more dangerous it's, than it's, the battery in the Steam it's, Deck. It's 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 tricky. Yeah, yeah. The battery in the Steam Deck's the least of your problems. Um, so it's a faff to get there. But I, I would go. But it's a, it's a it's a difficult thing to do. Yeah. No. I. Can you tell it's Friday afternoon after work? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Should have picked up on that earlier. I do apologise. It, it'll be Christmas soon. It will. It will, which is probably also making me tired because there's so much going on up to the uh, event of Christmas as well. But, Tony, so you've got ambitions Jane. for, that's me, ZX Spectrum next. And I do. Coding. I'm brewing up. I'm brewing up towards something on next next year, possibly. 
And how's your game coming along? So you've, you've, you've name dropped it a few times, but actually in this podcast, you've not actually given a great deal away. There's been some <laughs> snippets appear on, I think it was Instagram and possibly Mans- Mastodon as well. TikTok a little bit. TikTok, um, I'm not on TikTok. That was that was my limit in social media. I couldn't go f- onto the TikTok world. TikTok, TikTok's quite good, actually. Um, yeah. It's scary at first because it's in your face, but um, it's quite good as TikTok. And it's very good for, for game discovery, is what they say. So if you're going to self-publish a video game, you really need to be on TikTok. Um, and the beauty of TikTok is you can just throw any old stuff at it and, um, and see if it sticks. No one's really... Um, judging you on quality you know it's not like youtube where you where you if you're a youtuber you have to put a lot of work into it to really be a youtuber you have to do it professionally and look good and all these things tiktok's not like that tiktok you just sling stuff and see if it see if it works you know um but there's a lot of people on it and stuff can go viral very nicely um if you catch it right so if you look at if you look at get the games world um people put a lot of effort into into their TikTok presence, um, just because it's a great way of discovery, and discovery is everyone's problem at the moment. Uh, so yeah, TikTok. Uh, there was a little bit on there, uh, uh, and as I as I move towards my demo, which will be Q1 next year, having replaced Q4 of this year, <laughs> Q1 of next year, there'll definitely be a demo of Wormhole, and um, people will be able to play the first bit of it. See what they think. But isn't the beauty now is there's no crunch time. You set the release dates and you've got no pressure from anybody else to work 24-7 to get it out the door. Uh, yeah, I mean, you, you obviously get, you know, in the way that a publisher makes you crunch to finish a game so they can publish it and make the money back. Obviously, if you can take forever on a game that you're writing for yourself, but you you might starve to death in the middle of it. Um, but, you know, there's little there's little annoying practicalities of, of like that but um but yeah it's not it's not quite the same as the, as the old world where they were really whipping everyone for to get games out in time so slightly different yeah uh but you know it's a big it's, a, it's quite a complex game i mean it doesn't it looks very simple but it's actually quite complicated underneath so uh you know ideally it would be like a, a five-person team but it's just me so it, it tends to go a bit slower than you you would wish but there you go. It's doing what I want it to do. So that's all that really counts. So other than somebody doing a port for the Steam Deck, are you literally doing everything for the game? So I guess there's sound effects and music and graphics and how's uh, that all tied together? I've I've done majority of the graphics, but I have I have a, a, a an artist now that's helping me fix. He's he's basically going over my programmer art and fixing things to make them look nice key things so uh, there'll be some reasonably good graphics in there bit you know pixel art graphics but quite quite nice stuff is coming coming now so we did that at the moment i mean really the, the demo is done but it, it's a case of making it look a bit better um which is a secondary process so we're kind of doing that now and uh, refining it a little bit so it will it will look all right and uh, the sound i've all, all the sound is at the moment has come from freesound.org because it's free and later on if if it if it uh, i don't know how i'm going to fund the, the the end of it maybe it'll be a kickstarter or maybe it'll be early access or something like that but if there's ever any 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 dev money then obviously i'll i'll get some proper audio sounds that's fascinating where the, that's where we are with with audio i mean 
I mean, audio is very interesting. I'm, 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 I'm quite keen on having good, good audio, but it's, um, you know, ideally you, you, you take it down to like uh, quite a low level and start and start sort of weaving it into the game properly rather than just throwing in a few sound effects, you know, you can, you can, you can really work the audio in at a code level, you know, and do something quite special with it. And that's what I'd like to do. So I'm, I'm not, I'm not doing anything in the least bit clever at the moment in, in anticipation of doing something much better further down the line. If you see what, if you see what I'm trying to say. I do indeed. I do indeed. So where can we find out more? Is there any sort of teasers or a page we can go to to find out more? Is it just uh, on your uh, social media, TikTok? It's just, it's just, it's just lying around at the moment. Um, and it, over Christmas, I'll maybe build up the itch page and um, itch.io page. And uh, I guess I should make a Steam page as well as, as I get close to this demo. So yeah, yeah, it's coming. But yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll throw some bits out on social media. Excellent. I'll we'll I'm, keep I'm an eye out for under, that. Understated with it from a, from a hype point of view at the moment. I'll make sure it's mentioned on Pixel Refresh It List, and I'm sure it'll gather some momentum when they know it's by Tony Warner, one of the founders of Revolution Software, involved with Arctic Games, Paragon Games, and the list continues. What would be your publishing brand if you were going to create something for yourself? Warner and Co., like the safe you had in Broken Sword? It would be UFO Spares. UFO Spares, of course, which you've uh, got also now, haven't you? Yeah, well, product one was the book. Product yeah. two will be um, potentially wormhole dungeon. And there you go. Yeah. So actually, actually, I'll tell you what I have got. I've got uh, a really great um, piece of artwork for the box because I'm going to do physical physical versions of it, proper 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 boxed copies of it. So I've got I've got some really great cover artwork. So if you might share that over Christmas, I might do. So if all goes to plan, what? systems would you like to port it to what would be the dream uh i mean the first one is pc so you know pc formats uh and steam and all that kind of thing and steam deck Uh, and that's like the top end i suppose Uh, i mean if it it was like a mega success then you kind of look at things like switch which i think is probably almost worth doing and if it was like a stunning mega success then you got you know you got the the current consoles but i can't see that really um although it would be great uh you have to be a certain scale to to deal with those machines because they're quite difficult uh so if it if it's a if it's a reasonable success on pc then i guess it would go it would be amusing to do an, an amiga version which would be difficult but um possible uh dreamcast would be quite easy i think and, and, I, and I believe that's worth doing Again, you know, you do some proper boxes, Dreamcast specific artwork, and nice Dreamcast. Well, Dreamcast packaging. is probably a, a more logical start before even Amiga. I thought you're right, actually. So Dreamcast first, because um, it's essentially the same thing. It's just Windows, isn't it? Uh, Windows and there's a lot of Dreamcast. Hmm? Yeah, <laughs> there's there's words to strike terror into the heart from from the dark days, but yeah, it, it's still it's still Windows, so that's good. Uh, and it will definitely run a Lua runtime. So, uh, yeah, Dreamcast would be really good. And there's a lot of them out there still. Uh, then Amiga, which would be much harder. And then maybe, you know, maybe Spectrum next. But that really would be a job. But it would so, be fun. So hypothesizing here, if you did it on the Amiga, would you have to use the custom chips on the Amiga or would it just all run from the CPU, do you think? 
oh i think you would i think you would use the graphic chips yeah and that's where the probably the complexity really kicks in yes well i mean yes and no i mean the game itself is is you know it's 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 high level so it, it you know my game will say draw a sprite at this coordinate uh, and then you know that's what that's what all the game itself says and then you've got a layer underneath that which goes uh, okay well we're on we're on lua so uh call the lua library to draw the sprite and you rewrite that layer to to call the amiga to to tell the amiga however it will draw a sprite to draw the sprite and the game itself doesn't never knows that it's not on an amiga uh, that it's on an amiga or it's not on a pc it doesn't know what it's on it just says draw a sprite please and then whatever platform it's on gets told to draw the sprite uh, and that will work all the way down to the spectrum next which is also um you know it's got little hardware sprites so uh, i mean there'd be a lot of other considerations because probably the amiga version would need to be in at the very well maybe it could be c but i don't think it would run i doubt it would run the lower runtime on the amiga so it, one way or another it would need it would need recoding so that would be a big job yeah, start with Dreamcast. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> definitely start. Yeah. And there's still, yes, there's a lot of Dreamcast enthusiasts. I love my Dreamcast. It was uh, never really got the full appreciation, I don't think, at the time. Because as soon as yeah. the PlayStation yeah, it's, it's, it's Two came true. out, it's very true. It's a hugely underrated machine. Yeah, yeah. And it was a shame what happened to it and what happened to Sega as a result. You know, all those things. It, it should have been a great success, and, and it probably could have been. Uh, I, I've not looked at the history of it too much, but yeah, I guess the timing was wrong. I think it was more complicated than that even, as in before mm-hmm. the Dreamcast, there was a Sega Saturn, which didn't do particularly well in Europe or the US, although in Japan it did well. But more problematic, I would say, is there was the 32X, which was the bolt-on for the Mega Drive, which came out at a confusing time when around the same time you had the Mega CD and then the Sega Saturn not far off as well. So there were all these similar technologies. You had 32-bit in a cartridge-based part. Then you had the CD part, which would give you more storage for games, CD audio, um, and other features. 32X would give you slightly better audio as well in certain features. But then the Saturn was around the corner, which was a complete replacement console. But that was really hard to develop for because of the architecture, the way it was set up. so if you sort of factor all that in, the Mega Drive did really well, but then they confused it with the 32X, the Mega CD. Then the Saturn came along more expensive than the PlayStation 1, and we know what happened with the PlayStation 1. That was immensely successful. And it just walked up to the podium and said, £300 or 299 or whatever it was. Yeah, well, the PlayStation 1 killed a lot of things, didn't it? Yeah. Point-and-click adventures being being one of those things. Although Broken Sword is on the PS1. It is, yep. It did very well. So not, it was, uh, ironically, I don't think it was the console that killed it. It was publishers that killed it because they thought, oh, we're only going to be interested in 3D now. That's where the money is. Publishers and magazines. And magazines. Yep. Indeed, indeed. And yet, ironically, Rayman, a 2D game, was PlayStation 1. Uh, Castlevania. PlayStation mm. 1. There was a great Castlevania on PlayStation 1. There were some fantastic 2D games on the Saturn, particularly if you had the uh, cartridge with the extra memory on it. But uh, yeah, it was, a, it was mm. a bumpy era as soon as 3D came along. And 
2D could have looked absolutely amazing. And yet, because of this push for 3D, which was very primitive. Yes. When we talk about 3D now, it's completely different. But 3D back then, it was experimental. The controls were very awkward, particularly when you were trying to look around an, an area within a game. But, uh, yeah, it was, it was 3D. This, yeah, yeah. I mean, you could have, you know, those machines, they, they had the worst 3D ever. But they could have they could have done the best 2D ever. <laughs> you know, that's the irony. It really is. It really is. It was, uh, yeah, I mean, thankfully, point-and-click adventures have found their niche again. There's a broken sword coming out, reforged. There's a brand new broken sword hopefully coming out after that broken sword six. Yeah, yeah. Well, you saw the Kickstarter thing today. I haven't. No. What? Well, I've not seen that. No. I, I, I've been Jones. working today, Tony. That's why I'm so tired. <laughs> Blimey, that's like not like not not knowing they've landed on the moon or something. That, Look, that I'm, I'm more astonished that you've got a Windows device rather than I've missed something broken sword <laughs> that's been released. So what have I missed, Tony? Detail it to us. Uh, they announced the the upcoming Kickstarter, so you, you can go to the Reforged Kickstarter. Tell me about this project when it launches. Thing, excellent. That's all I, it is, but it's it's official now. So I, can, I don't think many people knew about it, um, but it's there now. So you, you can go and register your interest, uh, and that will be really great because it, it is the, the game is the game is really stunning. Um, it's going to be it's going to be mind blowing. So that will be good. Yeah. So this a was. A- yeah, so it was originally September, I think, where they said Reforge is going to be a thing with 4K visuals and all the bells and whistles. But uh, no, not heard about this latest revelation. So I will finish this podcast so I can go and have a look and uh, sign up and register for more interest. And I'll probably have to write something about it now as well. Yeah, it's going to be great. I'm sure it will be. Well, Tony, as always, thank you so much for your time. It's been a pleasure as always. Have a very Merry Christmas. And you. And I hope you finally get your Steam Deck sent off to Kiev in some fashion. Oh, it's gone. It's gone, but it's sat in some um, post office warehouse somewhere now. All right. So now it's stuck somewhere. Yeah. We'll see what happens. We'll see what happens indeed. Well, Merry Christmas to everybody else who listens and watches the Game and Gadget podcast. And we'll see you after the new year. Take care, everyone.